What the fuck is going on with tech stocks? That more in today's episode of the Be Smart Podcast. I'm Jared Gillian, and we're going to talk about how not to be an idiot with your money. So what's happening with the market? Well, um, the Fed is going to hike rates, which is something they don't do very often. And it seems like they really mean it this time. Now, the market is currently pricing in five rate hikes next year, which is a lot. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's the plan right now. So the FOMC meeting was a little while ago. Uh, The press conference afterwards was a bit of a disaster. Um, There was a reporter that asked Jay Powell if there would be a 50 basis point hike, and Powell refused to rule it out. So now people are really having conversations about whether there's going to be a 50 basis point hike in March. And the last time I checked, there was a 13% chance of that happening. So it might happen. Now, in case you hadn't noticed, stocks have been struggling and tech stocks have been struggling the most and energy stocks have actually been going up and everything else is somewhere in the middle. Why are tech stocks getting hurt the worst? It's very complicated. Okay, let me try to explain this to you. Tech stocks are getting hurt the worst because they are long duration assets. What the hell does that mean? What is a long duration asset? So it's time to do some bond math here. We're going to talk about bonds because believe it or not, that's actually what's going on. This has to do with bonds. So pretend you own a biotech company. Pretend you own this biotech stock and the biotech stock has no cash flows because it doesn't have a product that works. It's not selling anything. It's just basically a pile of money that's going into research and development And at some point in the future, they'll develop this drug. And assuming that it works, the company will get bought. And then you'll get a cash flow at the end. Now, we don't know when that's going to happen. It could be five years, seven years, 10 years from now. But at some point, you'll get this big lumpy cash flow at the end, which means that this biotech stock really acts like a zero coupon bond. Okay. Now, if you've ever taken a bond math class, you know that zero coupon bonds have the highest sensitivity to interest rates. And I can't, I don't have the ability to like write equations up on the screen and talk about why that is, but just, you know, zero coupon bonds have the highest sensitivity to interest rate. Okay. Short-term bonds that pay coupons are not very sensitive to interest rate because duration is the weighted average of all the cash flows to maturity. So all coupon and principal payments, it's the weighted average of all cash flows out to maturity. So if you have a short-term bond that pays big coupons, then that has lower duration. Or if you have AT&T or Verizon or Philip Morris or a stock that pays six or seven or 8% dividends, remember it's the weighted average of all these cash flows. And that's why it shortens the duration of the stock. So a biotech company is like an ultra long duration, zero coupon bond. So if interest rates go up, the price of the biotech stock goes down a lot. Okay. And that's true with most tech companies. Most tech companies don't pay much in the way of dividends. A lot of them don't pay any at all. So those are long duration bonds too. It's all in the terminal value. So when interest rates go up, this is what happens. Tech and biotech go down happens every single time. Like I said, if you have an industrial company, 
like AT&T that pays an 8% dividend, you're getting all that cash flow up front, okay? And remember, I'm going to say this again, duration is the weighted average time to maturity of all coupon and principal payments. So if you're getting those big dividends, it shortens the duration and makes the stock less sensitive to interest rates. And that is why value is going up and growth is going down. That's the explanation, and it's likely to continue for a long period of time. So that's it. That's all I had to talk about for today was duration. <laughs> so I'm done. I'm done. So for the rest of the podcast, we're just going to screw around, and we're going to talk about how Jackass is coming out soon. And I love Jackass. I, I love Jackass. It is the funniest thing of all time. Because, I mean, if you were in your 20s in the 90s, that's basically what your life was like. <laughs> I mean, people think of Jackass as lowbrow. That's the crazy thing about Jackass. Because it's actually not lowbrow entertainment. It's highbrow. It's the avant-garde. It's one of the few examples of avant-garde entertainment that we have. And it's fart jokes and dick jokes. You have it all wrong. This is the only avant-garde filmmaking that is happening these days. So the story of Jackass is Johnny Knoxville used to be a bulletproof vest salesman in the South. And he used to drive around to police departments and sell bulletproof vests. And he figured he could sell more vests if he put on the vest and they went to like a shooting range and he would stand down range with his vest on and they would shoot him with rubber bullets. And of course, you know, even though he has the vest on, like he's in all kinds of pain and he's falling on the ground and the cops are laughing like hell, then they would buy a bunch of vests. And he was the most successful bulletproof vest salesman of all time. But that's how he got the idea for Jackass. That's how Jackass started. I mean, if I were 24, I would love to be on Jackass, you know, and I was on Jackass when I was 24 with some of the shit that I was doing. I did a lot of eating contests on Wall Street. You know, I was pretty good at eating burritos. They go to Chipotle and get burritos. So these were my times in eating burritos. I could eat a burrito, one burrito in one minute and 40 seconds. That was my record. And I could eat two burritos in five minutes. I think that's pretty good. That's that's pretty good. So I, I, mean, I mean, I'm a big eater. You know, when I was a kid... When I was 13 years old, I mean, when, when you have a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid, they eat everything. And when I was 13 years old, I could eat two large pizzas. Like, we didn't have Domino's back then, but there was like a local pizza place. And we would get two large pizzas, and I would eat them both, age 13. So, massive amounts of food. You know, I used to get home from school, and this is what I would do. I would make a couple of Hot Pockets, and then I would eat a whole bag of Doritos, and I would drink a gallon of milk. <laughs> so I ate a lot of the Coast Guard Academy too because I you know I, I would go run 15 miles then I'd come back and I'd eat three plates of pasta and 15 dinner rolls and 10 things of milk I'd eat like 4,000 calories in one sitting so awesome those were the days and the amazing thing is is that I was super skinny back then I weighed like 167 pounds 167 pounds I currently weigh 235 right I wish I could have the the body of a 20-year-old with the mind of a 47-year-old. Well, I had fun when I was in my 20s. Talk about treating your body like an amusement park. That's what I did. 
Uh, I spent about 12 years trying to launch my wiener into space. You know, the age thing is real. It started hitting me really hard about four or five years ago. Uh, the hair went gray and I got fat and then I had to pee in the middle of the night. Other stuff started happening. I do like the gray hair. The gray hair is an improvement. I think it's awesome. And people don't question me anymore. Like before I had the gray hair, if I told somebody to do something, then I got all kinds of pushback. Uh, you know, like a stock pick. Like I would put a stock pick in my newsletter. I would get all this arguing, you know. Now I put a stock pick in the newsletter and, you know, I could tell people to smear themselves in peanut butter and run naked through a dog park and they would do it. It's all because of the gray hair. And at least it didn't fall out. I have all my hair. Sorry for the bald guys. I feel for you. And I thought it was going to happen to me because my grandfather was bald. No, nope, still have all my hair. I have one last story. I want to tell you about the day that I wanted to be a trader. So this is 1998. And I was living in California. And I flew to New York to visit a friend of mine. And we went down to, it was called the Coffee, Cotton, Sugar, and Cocoa Exchange which then became the NIBOT, the New York Board of Trade. And this was in 1998. And I was visiting a buddy of mine. His name was Andy, who was going to business school at NYU. And he had this classmate at NYU named Joe Rosner. And Joe Rosner was a trader on the floor. And he traded options on sugar. Okay. So we go down to the floor and it's pandemonium, you know, just like a trade and really just like out of trading places. Actually, that was the trading places trading floor. That was the floor. Okay. So we go down to the sugar options pit and it's just, it's a rogues gallery, all kinds of guys in there, smart guys, dumb guys, everybody in between, everybody's yelling their heads off. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. So I'm looking around the floor and there's just pit after pit after pit. So I turn around and I see this guy sneak up to this other guy. He has these little paper things and they were spurs. And he sneaks up to this guy and he puts these spurs on the back of his heels, like tapes them on there. So everyone sees this and they start yelling. They're like, yee-haw! And they start dancing around like cowboys and stuff. They start square dancing in the middle of the floor. And the kid is like, the whole place is going nuts. And the kid with the spurs is not figuring this out. And everybody's fucking around and being jackasses and working hard and having lots of fun. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I became a trader. Thanks for listening to the Be Smart Podcast. I'm Jared Dillian. See you next time.